Look at verse number 2. Look at verse number 2 of this chapter. Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 2. And so here we see Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, right? And he leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And now Peter, James, and John, uh, most people assume that Jesus took these three aside and on other occasions because maybe uh, they were special. Maybe they were Jesus' favorites. And maybe as the inner circle, uh, they knew Jesus better than everybody else. They were special favorites of the Lord. It could have been that they were troublemakers as well. Many people don't think about this. They just wanted, or just needed really to be near to Jesus so that he could keep a close eye on them. And I usually put the three disciples, or in the past I have, on a pedestal. Uh, in my mind is this revered inner circle, right? Not necessarily so. But God did use these three naturally brazen, bold, and boastful men to accomplish his purpose. It was Peter and the Sons of Thunder, as it were. That's not a boy band. But he also uses quiet people and gentle people as well. Uh, And that's not necessarily beyond the scope of this message, but I digress. What started as a mountain retreat quickly changed as the glory of the Lord Jesus shone forth and Jesus was transformed right there before the eyes of his disciples. He was transfigured before them. That's the Bible word there. And to transfigure is to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. Matthew's account in Matthew 17 says that Jesus' face shone like the sun. And both Matthew and Mark use the word transfigured to describe what happened to Jesus. And for this brief time, Jesus took on an appearance that was uh, nothing like this earth has ever seen. And I, uh, in a little bit, I'm going to describe uh, what a miracle it was uh, even for the disciples to see this. And really in another way as well. Jesus took on an appearance more appropriate for the king of glory than for a humble man. Mark did his best to describe for us what Jesus looked like, looked like really, uh, using uh, human, human terms and human words, right? And no doubt through the eyes of Peter. Remember, this was a, another account through the eyes of somebody else. And basically, Jesus' whole appearance shone forth in glorious, bright light. His clothes Uh, became shining and wider than anything ever seen on this earth. And if we're not careful, we think of maybe the transfiguration, maybe just as a bright light, uh, you know, just shined on Jesus. But this was not a light coming on Jesus from the outside. This was uh, really something else entirely. Here's Warren Wiersbe again. The word transfigured describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. It is the opposite of masquerade, which is an outward change that does not come from within. And this was not a new miracle, but the temporary pause of an ongoing miracle. Let me say that again. This was not a new miracle, but the temporary pause of an ongoing miracle. The real miracle was that Jesus, most of the time, could keep from displaying his glory. Though he was rich, for our sakes, he became poor. Jesus did this because he just told his disciples he was going down the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, the way of the cross in Mark 8.31, and spiritually they should follow him in the way of the cross. Remember Mark chapter 8? You know, it was easy for the disciples to lose confidence in Jesus after such a negative statement 
about death row, about the cross. And so, uh, but now, really, as Jesus displayed his glory as king over all of God's kingdom, the disciples knew that Jesus still knew what he was doing. He still was in control. And uh, if he was to suffer, if he was to be rejected, if he was to be killed, he would still know what was going on. He was still in control. He's still the master of the seas. He still knows how to guide us through any storm, any trial in life. And Jesus also dramatically demonstrated that cross-bearers would also one day be glory receivers. And so the goal isn't the cross. The cross is the path to the goal. And the goal is the glory of God. Check this out. Elijah and Moses appear with Jesus. Look at verse 4. And there appeared unto them, uh, Mark 9 verse 4, there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, Brother Phil. How cool is that, right? And we as the reader have no idea of what Elijah and Moses might have looked like, right? But I guess they just instinctively knew. Honestly, neither did the disciples know uh, what Elijah and Moses looked like. Uh, maybe Peter uh, knew that these men uh, that were with Jesus were Elijah and Moses because maybe he overheard the conversation. Maybe uh, Jesus literally called Elijah and Moses by name up there on the mountain of transfiguration, but we have no idea. How many of you, as maybe children, you've read those, those Christian storybooks, right, with the pictures in it, right, and you see Moses and Elijah, these uh, sages with these long, wizened beards, and you, you just see them, and you know, yeah, that's a prophet of God, right? I don't know what Peter knew or how Peter knew who these people were immediately, but what a sight. <laughs> Celebrities in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I'd rather meet Elijah than Taylor Swift or Beyonce or uh, you know Travis Kelsey or uh, wh- whoever's in the news today, or, or Jay-Z or LeBron James. I'd rather meet Moses than those people, but anyways... Both Elijah and Moses represent those who are caught up to God. And Moses represents those who die and go to glory. And Elijah represents those who are caught up to heaven without death, as in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And they also represent the law. Moses represents the law. And Elijah represented, in a sense, the prophets. And the sum of Old Testament uh, revelation, as it were, almost a representation in human form comes to meet with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And they also figure together in the future fulfillment of prophecy. Elijah and Moses are likely connected to the witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. And really, I believe that uh, pretty strongly, but I don't know for sure. Uh, They could very well likely be those same two uh, witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. And right there in front of them, here are the disciples. And watching and seeing evidence of life beyond this life. And when they saw Moses and Elijah, they knew that Moses had passed from this world 1,400 years before, and Elijah had passed from this world some 900 years before. And yet there they were, alive in glory before them. And so it gave them confidence in Jesus' claim to resurrection, perhaps. And perhaps the disciples just instinctively knew that these were Elijah and Moses, which could indicate as well that we will recognize each other when we get to heaven. We won't know less in heaven than we do on earth. We won't know less in heaven than we do on earth. And so here they are. Uh, They were talking with Jesus. Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus. And these two men were interested in the outworking of God's plan through Jesus. They spoke about what Jesus was about to accomplish, according to Luke chapter 9. Get a little inside 
a look at what on earth were they talking about? Well, they were talking about Jesus going to the cross. Look at verse 5. Verse number 5 it goes on to detail a little bit more, and mainly about Peter. <laughs> Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. And let, let, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for he was sore, for they were sore, sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. I love how Brother Kim was able to preach on the King James Version of the Bible, or rather teach this lesson uh, on Sunday night. And uh, other translations will say, Oh, this is, this is my son. I love him. Hear what he has to say. I don't think that's sufficient to describe the adjective there. Beloved, his cherished son, his one and only. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And suddenly when they looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only. Oh, friends, that we would see Jesus only in our lives. I know that's not the primary application there. Uh, but, but, or primary interpretation, but it sure is a good application, right? Hey, man, let's see the Lord. And so they, they didn't see anybody but Jesus, save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen until the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And here we see Peter's unwise offer to build three tabernacles to honor Jesus, to honor Moses and Elijah. And we also see the Father's response. Now, Peter, he was so fun. He was a barrel of monkeys. He, 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 he never knew what to say. Verse 6, he wished not what to say. Peter never knew what to say, and then he'd say it. Foot in his mouth. How many of you relate? Both, both my hands are up. Oh, yeah. And so uh, here, here he was. He's saying, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make these three tabernacles. This is good. This is how it should be. Uh, forget all this business about suffering and being rejected and crucified. Let's just build some tabernacles so we can hang out here and see you forever. We can live this way with a glorified Jesus all the time. We often get into trouble when we speak like Peter did, not knowing what to say. And we also see that Peter spoke out of fear, for they were greatly afraid. And we say many foolish things without thinking when we think out of fear and when we speak out of fear. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He was the prince of preachers. He said, Peter was open-hearted. He was bold. He was enthusiastic. And so uh, we often get on Peter for, uh, in this passage for saying anything. And I believe he probably shouldn't have said anything. The Bible says he didn't know what he was saying. But Spurgeon uh, had this to say about Peter. Uh, to Spurgeon's mind, there was something very lovable about Peter. And in my opinion, in Spurgeon's opinion, and I share his opinion, we need more Peters in the church of the present day. Though they are rash and impulsive, there is fire in them. There is steam in them so that they keep us going. And so I, I'm not advocating, hey, be, be, be boastful or arrogant, but hey, some of us need to be a, a, a little bit more uh, involved in the things of the Lord and more, more on fire for him. Luke tells us that Peter, James, and John were all asleep. And when they awoke, they saw Jesus transfigured and changed with Elijah and Moses. And Peter suddenly awaked from sleep in time to see the glory fade. And in his terror, he just said something not very smart. And what Peter said was foolish because he put Jesus on an equal level with these prophets. Uh, one tabernacle for each of you. 
But Jesus isn't just another Moses. He isn't just another Elijah or even a greater Moses or a greater Elijah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. And being in the presence of God's glory isn't necessarily a pleasant experience, especially when we are like Peter, uh, not really glorifying God in this situation. And sometimes the glory of God is known in the way that he corrects us. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And this is a familiar cloud. A familiar cloud. The cloud of God's glory, traditionally known as the Shekinah glory of God. It was the pillar of cloud that stood by Israel in the wilderness in Exodus 13. It was the cloud of glory that God spoke to Israel from. It was the cloud of glory that God met with Moses and with others. It was the cloud of glory that stood by the door of the tabernacle in Exodus 33. It was from this cloud that God appeared to the high priest in the holy place from inside the veil in Leviticus 16. It was from this cloud that God appeared to Solomon when the temple was dedicated, so filling the temple so that the priests could not continue in 1 Kings, rather, 1 Kings chapter 8. It was the cloud of Ezekiel's vision, filling the temple of God with the brightness of his glory. It was the cloud of glory that overshadowed Mary when she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the cloud of glory that received Jesus into heaven at his ascension. It was the cloud of glory that will display his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, when he returns in triumph to this earth in Luke 21. And so he says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear what he has to say. The voice from the cloud uh, really made it clear that Jesus was not on the same level. He was not on the same level with Elijah or with Moses. He is the beloved son. So hear him. This word from heaven answered the disciples' the disciples' doubts after the revelation of the suffering Messiah and assured them that the plan was all right with God the Father also. And he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. After it was all over, Peter, John, and James kept this word to themselves. After all, who would believe them? But the event left a lasting impression on these men. Peter related what happened in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, how the voice from God still rang in his ears. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And this confirmed who Jesus was. And as impressive as this experience was, this in and of itself did not change the lives of the disciples as much as being born again did. Being born again by the Spirit of God is the great miracle. The greatest display of the glory of God ever. Jesus Christ, or the Spirit of Jesus come to live inside of us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What a wonderful honor and privilege that is. It is a better thing. It's a better thing. As Charles Spurgeon once said, it's a better thing for a man to live near to Christ and to enjoy his presence than it would be for him to be overshadowed with a bright cloud and to hear the Divine Father himself speaking out of it. This is my beloved son. Hear him.